I watch kaiju movies, therefore I am. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Godzilla Pod War Hour. My name is Michael Kelly, and with us, as always, uh, Nathan Bear. Nathan, how you doing, buddy? I hate my life. I know it. I know <laughs> it. And it's because of this, we're going to talk about a movie about a giant moth today for over an hour. And then afterwards, I think we should look in the mirror and take a long, hard look at ourselves and sort of kind of replan things and reanalyze things. But until that time, uh, our obligation falls to discussing 1961's Mothra, directed by Inshiro Honda. Special effects by Iju Ichitsu Tsuburaya, something, Tsuburaya, produced by Tanaka and uh, written by Sekizawa. This is the first Sekizawa kaiju script. Uh, very important, because he would go on to, like, shape everything, as we've discussed, uh, going forward in the 60s. Um, the music is not by Akira Fukube. It is, in fact, by Yuji Koseki. Uh, now, Nate, maybe you could tell us a little bit about Mr. Koseki. Well, uh, I believe he came from a more, uh, traditional, um, traditional music, I guess, class, uh, unlike, uh, Ifabuke, who I believe was a little bit more influenced by Western and Anu uh, tribal music. I think he, uh, Koseki was uh, more of a traditionalist. Um, he did. Uh, he didn't do a lot of movies, as many as Ifabuke, um, but he did do some like uh, cho- some interesting choice ones. Uh, one of which I actually. Happened to have seen in a theater, and that was a film by Mikio Naruse called Wanderer's Notebook, aka Her Lonely Lane. It was a, a, a biopic of uh, the life of feminist writer Fumiko Hayashi, uh, who was played by uh, the beautiful Takamine Hideko. Um, so, yeah, just an odd six degrees of separation uh, Mr. Koseki has with the film industry. So, yeah, so, uh, but he is the one who created the Mothra song, mm-hmm. you know, which has been later incorporated into, like, all the other Godzilla films, you know, and I think uh, has been, the credit has been given to Ifabuke because he did Mothra versus Godzilla, which Koseki's music is implied into, however, it's given an overall Ifabuke feel, whereas with this, you feel a more traditional, like, m- m- more atypical, like, hero music. You know, Mothra's mm-hmm. coming, so we have to have, you know, beautiful bellicose music announcing this, you know, great beast. Yeah. You know. I think you've hit upon something uh, very important, and that bears repeating, in that, you know, Mothra versus Godzilla is probably my favorite score <clears throat> in all of the Toho science fiction films. Mm-hmm. It's got a lot going for it. Uh, you know, if we haven't exhausted that category, but like, you, when, when I think about it, I think about it as all of that is Fukube's stuff, and it really isn't. Um, Kozeki wrote the main Mothra theme, and um, you know, you almost have to give half the credit to him for mm. for the you know the the level of greatness that is attained in that film. Mm. And but speaking more on to just Mothra from 1961, this score is is great and and I think it's because Kozeki really only did one of these movies that there's a there's absolutely a very specific 
feel just to, to Mothra, which isn't in other uh, Toho Kaiju movies, where mm-hmm. it's it does feel sort of classical and more of kind of like a fantasy. Uh, the, I don't know what I'm trying to say, but it, it like, seems almost like old Hollywood. Yeah. Whereas if a bouquet, I think, was implying like music that was not encouraged to be listened to. I think uh, Koseki comes from uh, a time when, like, you know, German music was more, like, uh, obtainable. So, like, you know, listening to traditional Japanese music as well as, you know, like, the the German music that was popular in Japan at the time. So that was probably, like, uh, his education. And that's where he thought, where, where he combined those thoughts with the moving image. So this does feel like uh, a good old-fashioned Hollywood score mm-hmm. in many respects. Uh, so e- even like, you know, King Kong. Right. So. Yeah. And uh, certainly elements of the plot mirror um, King Kong. Um, as to the plot, <clears throat> Mothra, Mothra comes from a, a series of books known as the luminous fairies and mothra um of which the, the the plot for this film was combined from i think three or four different books and and then it was you know taken from from that as its source material um we don't know mm-hmm. when those books were written there's almost no information about them we do know that they were pulp sci-fi novels there are indications that at least a few of the books in the series were written before the first godzilla film came out Mm -hmm. uh which would mean that mothra predates godzilla Hmm. which is sort of crazy um but you know at least in book form but again information on that that's at least been translated into english is almost non-existent yes i wish i read japanese i do not uh, so maybe it's all right there. If you click, click on the Wikipedia page, I'll never know. But um, as far as we can glean, that's really all we know about uh, sort of the origins of the creature and that, you know, Tanaka was uh, combing the archives for, for source material for a new giant monster film. It's kind of like uh, after Lord of the Rings came out, everyone was kind of like trying to yank out a few sword and sandal films like mm-hmm. if you remember the uh movie king arthur that came yeah. out i believe what 2004 kingdom be... of heaven yes was another one yeah so everyone's just trying to get on this you know lord of the rings money so tanaka is doing self synergy yeah where he's just like you know okay well we've got really popular monster films let's try and you know take this the full way I will agree with you that they were definitely trying to cash in on the sword and sandal epics. However, I think they were trying to cash in on Dungeons and Dragons starring Marlon Wayans and Jeremy Irons. And uh, Lord of the Rings came from that. I'm joking, don't, don't of course. Don't forget, Tom Baker was in that movie. Tom Baker was in that the movie. The best Doctor Who was in that uh, movie. Yes, he was, <laughs> wasn't he? <laughs> yeah. That was not serious. Yeah. That movie is unwatchable. Uh, and the Lord of the Rings are masterpieces but that's for a different podcast well, to, to quote nick gussie uh, dungeons and dragons is a coaster that's <laughs> that's what that movie is you put your drink on it <laughs> um so yeah i mean tanaka's looking for this energy and and mothra is is selected uh there's a couple different drafts of the script are are shaped sekizawa stepped in on the second draft and and the difference between the first draft and the second draft is that mothra was like far more 
dark and evil in that one and was like couldn't be reasoned with and i think you can make arguments that mothra is no peach in the right. in the finished film does slaughter thousands of people but you know um still less than man of steel still less than henry cavill in man of steel of course well he's not you know he's not a monster he's not a, he's not a monster <laughs> uh but like <laughs> by the way i mean this will definitely date the show but uh the first picture of clark kent from batman v superman dawn of justice came up on the on web uh today and it's just henry cavill once again not wearing glasses in a suit it's like he has to wear glasses after Man of, like Superman has been seen. Like, oh like, well, you know what's going to happen in the script? They're going to give him some Google glasses, and that'll be you know to update Clark Kent to the modern. I don't fucking <laughs> care. He has to wear glasses. I swear to God, if they have this fucking okay, the movie's going to suck anyways. But like, if Clark Kent is not wearing glasses to disguise the fact that he's Superman, if it's just Superman walking around in clothes and people still don't recognize him. Then they better explain that shit like he's got some mind warping device that he has on his belt or something or that just makes people stupider around him or something because it's fucking unacceptable. Superman is an unkillable tyrant. It must be stopped by Afalak. Anyways. Um, but uh, the main thing is between the first draft and the second draft, um, the Peanuts had been hired to be the fairies. Mm. And with them came a certain package of uh, entertainment, shall we say, assets in that they could sing. Right. They right. were a song group, you know, and they had sort of attained their own level of fame, uh, you know, on the Ed Sullivan show, and even in, you know, in America. Yeah. So they were like a standalone thing. So their presence really altered kind of the makeup of the movie so that now it's more of like, they sing a song, Mothra answers their call, and it's, you know, it, that adds a decidedly sort of, I want to say feminine element to the film, but definitely, like, softens it, you know. Yeah. Um, there's much vigorous dance numbers and singing. And it, it kind of, uh, in a good way, I think, um, uh, changes yeah. and it. It gives the movie its... its personality yeah it's it's a uniqueness because uh, they didn't uh, while they did have a dance number in the mysterians that really has nothing to do with the plot like this is Not which will later you know be you know upped to 11 in uh mecha godzilla right where you know we have a song number to awaken a monster uh yeah. you know, king caesar so this is like the first time at least in the Toho franchise where like that it becomes a necessary part of the plot like you know they're singing awakens you know yeah. and everyone else saying oh that's cute they're singing and oh that yeah <laughs> it, yeah it brought a big bug oh <laughs> yeah there's you know and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that when we when we get to the the fine points of the plot but definitely a, a unique and, and I, I think very important part of the movie um mothra was featured obviously again in mothra versus godzilla in its full moth form and then mm -hmm. also in uh Godzilla versus the sea monster, but I never, you know, I think it looks best in Mothra versus Godzilla. It looks pretty good here. I can yeah. sort of see the wires in a couple of shots, but they hadn't quite perfected it. Yeah, but um, I think that's what they had to do for Godzilla versus Mothra. It's just like in this one, they could get away with it because it's mostly in bug form the entire film, and when we see the moth as beautiful as it is, it really only needs to be 
good in the close-ups. Like, they can get away with it being wide, you know. But they knew if they were going to have two monsters fight, it had to be way better than it was in this, yeah. you know. So it's good here. They crank it up to 11 in Mothra versus Godzilla. Yeah. We have almost no information about the box office. I guess it was successful. They kept making these films. Yeah. <laughs> and this is... Pop, you know, popular entertainment, popular, you know, pulp entertainment, the, you know, these kind of things. And this is when, you know, movies did double bills, even newsreels. And, uh, you know, now again, as we mentioned last week in the Mysterians, widescreen, you know, we. Toho scope. Toho scope, yeah. So uh, if movies are trying to find new ways to bring people in uh, because of television. Television was keeping people at home because, you know, why, why go out when you could watch baseball at home on TV? Why? You know, you can watch a movie on TV. With this, it's like, oh, well, we have to go see this. This is big, better sound, you know, it, 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 you know, all the stuff you can't get at home. So that's um, that's what they're playing with. Speaking of the double bills, um, this film was released in America. There was about 10 minutes worth of scenes cut out, hmm. um, and they just sort of kind of sandwich things together and made things a little bit more uh, tighter, I guess, you know. Um, but, the, um, but you were you were mentioning double bills. Yeah. And the Mothra was released on the double bill with uh, Three Stooges movie. Oh. Uh, where they go to the moon. <laughs> I think Three Stooges go in, up in orbit or something. That's what it was called. Yeah. So, uh, well, you know, when, that... when you're the local glue sniffer... In, in the movie theater, I'm, I'm sure that's the best 25 cents you've spent <laughs> in your entire life. Just, ah, oh, first they go to the moon, and now it's, there's a big moth. This is great. Mm-hmm. Um, it was well-reviewed, even, you know, in the States. It was looked upon, um, and, and definitely in the years since, um, it has gained the status as one of the classics. Um, if you were to take just Godzilla movies... You know, obviously this wouldn't be included in that, but if you were kind of had the, the pot was all kaiju movies from Toho, mm-hmm. this I think would be in my top five, definitely. Yes. Because there is something that's exciting about it, and there's a lot of energy, and then the script is, is really smart and very engaging. The performances are great. Um, the special effects, especially the attack on New Kirk City at the end, are like mm-hmm. fucking top notch. Yes. Um,. And yeah, it's you, you, you. There's this other sort of sense that things are just about ready to go out of control in this this Toho universe, and this is it's almost like the Pandora's box opening of, of Mothra. You know, it's like things are about to hit that tipping point where it's like, okay, the kaiju's are going to be on the loose, mm-hmm. and like you know, we've, we're we're slipping away from the world of reality slowly but surely yeah. we're not quite to the level yet of where there's like rocket ships and like these giant space agencies and aliens and laser guns and whatever yeah. but like the, it's, it's, it's almost like, like things the, are getting less and less real yeah it's almost like in this movie they were trying to pull it back from the mysterians which you know did kind of go that direction but right. like this is just like okay we'll, we'll we'll do something a little more traditional and i'm sure you know tanaka saw the box office report and says yeah, but why? Why Why don't we just go crazy? I'm just going to open my wallet out, you know, write a whole bunch of blank checks, and yes. force Honda to work for peanuts. 
of this uh, sexy Sekigawa script begins with a, uh, a boat, I believe. You know, it's uh, you know, normal Toho bathtub, you know, effects, you know, <laughs> crew members, you know, oh, there's a hurricane, something, you know, so they get... Uh, it's a very popular way for them to start one of their movies. Yeah. They do it at yeah. least eight times. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but this time, like, they aren't, like, it's an actual, like, hurricane. Like, they aren't also, like, eaten by a monster. Yeah, there's no kind. octopus attack yeah. thrown in there. It's just, uh, it's, it's just a bad hurricane. Yeah. And so, uh, a rescue uh, team is then sent out the next day looking for, uh, this, uh, this group, and they, they find them on an island that uh, is supposed to be radioactive, but, uh, they come back completely unradioactivized. Yes. Uh, that, that's, that's a new word. Uh, I'm adding it to the Urban Dictionary tonight. Um, so... <laughs> the, Hold so, it together. <laughs> yeah, so, so, so they come back, uh, and, you know, scientists are, of course, like, ah, you know, how, how is it that they, they don't have any radioactivity on them, and it's... It's because they say, well, uh, we met some of these natives and they gave us some red juice and uh, made us feel good. So, uh, naturally, uh, every businessman and scientist uh, in the world decides to uh, head out to this uh, island. Um, unfortunately, the island is under the, what, the territorial uh, boundaries of uh, a country known as Rolisica. Yes. And Rolisica sends an emissary, uh, played by Jerry Ito, mm -hmm. who is billed in the American version as Jelly Ito, uh, very lazily. Um, and he portrays a character known as Nelson. Yes. Nelson is, 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 is a great guy, you know. He's, he's one of these classic Toho villains where it's like he just loves being evil so <laughs> much that he... 
you know, you can tell instantly from the first frame that Nelson is there that he is pure evil. I mean, he's smathering, he's rubbing his hands together, he's arched his eyebrows, he's furrowed his brow. He's just like, <laughs> you know, it's like, would you like a biscuit or an English muffin with your breakfast, Nelson? I want an English muffin. <laughs> You know, it's just like, are you? I'm sorry, sir. Are you pure evil? <laughs> just like, no, I, I'm not evil at all. You know, did I, did I make a joke? No, I'm just laughing. Nelson's the kind of guy who just has a gun with him at all times, and if anyone like crosses him or displeases him, he'll just pull the gun out and just be like, what? You know, like it seems strange that Nelson has gotten to the position that he's in in yeah. life, which is never explained by the way. Yeah. He's part scientist. He's part explorer. They kind of talk about him later on. And, and like, he's sort of like an Indiana Jones uh, yeah. character almost where he, he pillages old like islands for like artifacts and stuff, which I guess makes sense that he has yeah. a gun on him, but like he's definitely depicted as a bad guy. Yeah. Um, and he, he works for Rolistica, which is a country that uh, is totally not the United States at all. No. Uh. <laughs> Rolistica is a very strange country. Well, really, all we see of it is uh, Nelson's bungalow that he visits uh, uh, briefly later on in the film, and also uh, New Kirk City, which looks exactly like 1960 San Francisco. And is as stoic as Captain Kirk's face. Yes. Um, complete with the Golden Gate Bridge yeah. that they've recreated. Um, it, I mean, it actually, it looks like a cross between New York City and and San Francisco because mm-hmm. the sort of the skyline of the buildings there's definitely a building that looks exactly like the Empire State Building yeah uh, so it's sort of you know it's it's supposed to be America yeah it's <laughs> like you know and I, I don't know if they thought maybe it would be just be better to not call it America or whatever but it's obviously supposed to be America it's this weird sort of bizarre fantasy world where. I, I yeah. don't want to get into it. It's it. just, this is the one, this is actually for me one of the only headaches of the movie is the fact that if you just said, yeah, if you just said America, we would have got along with this. But with this, it's just like we have to read between lines that are like so bold. It's like, <laughs> why bother? Right. Why? Why make this harder on yourself? Why make it harder on us? Yeah. <laughs> um. So Nelson uh, is heading up this you know, he's basically taking over this expedition. There's other people in the expedition, such as uh, Dr. Harada, pl- played by Ken Uihara. Also, uh, Kyujo, who's played by Hiroshi Kazumi, who is uh, also in, of course, Mothra vs. Godzilla. Uh, he's also was in, he was Kubayashi, or he wasn't, sorry, he wasn't Kubayashi in Raids Again, but he was in Godzilla Raids Again. He's in Tokyo SOS, playing the same character, playing... Mm-hmm. Uh, Kyujo from this film, which also makes you know yeah. Tokyo SOS a sequel to to this film. Um, he's also in uh, Gidra, the Three Headed Monster. Yeah. So <laughs> he's been in a lot of these classic films and by now, and he's always playing sort of like the you know kind of the professorial doctor, not too specific. He you know he's he's a translator in this. He's an expert on ancient cultures, which kind of comes into play later on. Yes. Um, so you've got sort of the scientist, and then as we know in these films, there's a scientist, and there's always like a reporter. Um, so the reporter is played by the the reporter is of course Zen Bulldog Vakuda, uh, or depending on whether what country you're watching it in America, it's it's. Um, 
the bulldog in Japan. It's the snapping turtle. Uh, his nickname is snapping turtle because he never lets go. But uh, in either version, it's Frankie uh, Sakai, who is uh, you know a great actor in this, and he gives a very interesting performance. But he was he wasn't an you know he wasn't a leading man by trade. He was a comedian. Yeah. At the time, and he's sort of a you know a bigger fellow. Um, not to say that he's fat, but he's definitely plump. And um, so maybe he didn't, I guess, fit into the leading man role. But I think he's more, I think just, like, I, I don't think it's his girth, because there have been lots of, you know, girthy leading actors, comedian and serious in Japan. But I think it's just he fits more of the character actor role. He, he He's more of the second fiddle person, you know, and I don't consider that a bad thing at all. I think that that, you know, to have a lead, you must have... An assistant, you know, you need someone to bounce off of, and yeah. he is that person. When you're watching this film, it seems like he should be the second guy, but then he's like the main character. Yeah, so it's weird. Uh, Whereas, I, like, you know, Maichi, played by Kyoko Kagawa of uh, you know Yasujiro's Tokyo Story, um, she, you know, def. I mean, she's played you know leading or you know character actor. Uh, roles before you know she knows how to do both and i mean she gave one of the best in tokyo story she gave like the best uh dialogue delivery of the line uh isn't life disappointing you know uh (laughs) (laughs) so she she definitely you know is uh made for like star roles or at least you know uh, a character who has great insight um so they um, Bulldog, Fukuda, and Michi form the sort of reporter and then journalistic photographer team, yeah. which is then essentially repeated in Mothra vs. Godzilla, but it's different actors. Yeah. Um, and then complemented by Hiroshi Koizumi uh, Chujo, um, who is basically basically playing the exact same part that he is in yes. Mothra vs. Godzilla. So it's sort of the the prototype of that team is in this film. Mm-hmm. Again, different actors and, and, and different uh, parts, but it's it's all there. It's very Sekizawa. It's signature Sekizawa. Um, and, and easy to recognize uh, his style uh, right away. Um, so, basically, as you said... The, the survivors of the shipwreck yeah. are recovered. They don't have any radiation poisoning. Um, there's a briefing that looks like it takes place in the same scientific room from Mothra vs. Godzilla with the magical purple smoke yeah. took the radiation <laughs> out of our lead characters' bodies. And yet uh, still more convincing than Godzilla 2014. <laughs> uh, let them fight. Anyways. <laughs> Can I, what that, is, that, is that a bad movie? Right. I'm just, just saying the smoke. <laughs> no, I'm not talking about the movie. I'm just talking about the smoke. Yeah. All right. Um, so basically, our intrepid reporters, you know, they want answers. So they uh, sneak into this this briefing. They they basically sneak into a medical. Uh, you know, this there's a huge team of doctors. Uh, yeah. Interviewing the survivors of the ship and. Bulldog, like, 
you know, somehow gets in there and he's like wearing a mask yeah. and like, just like, Hey, wait a minute. You're not a doctor. Yeah. I don't know every doctor in the world. Dr. Harada, you know, chews him out and it's some great exposition. He chewing out. It's like, I'm a reporter. I work for this paper. This is why I have to get this story. What happened? You know, great stuff. They invite Chuju to, uh, Fukuda's house mm-hmm. at one point, And they're trying to get a picture of his face to print in the paper. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, Chujo refuses to do it, so he's just holding up a newspaper in front of his face the whole time. And then a mouse. Yeah. They, they... find a mouse, and it runs up Fukuda's leg, and, like, it's running all over, like, the suit inside. It's like, so, it is like something from the Three Stooges. Yeah. Uh, so it was a very appropriate double billet, you know. And um, he, uh, you know, eventually, uh, I think it's Fukuda's kid comes in and, like, gets the mouse out of his pant leg or something mm-hmm. because I guess it's his pet or something. <laughs> it's a pretty awesome scene, but in all the confusion, uh, Michi takes a picture with her cigarette lighter. Oh, yes. she's, she's got this miniaturized camera, uh, and, uh, which Chujo, you know, obviously doesn't want his picture taken, but she, she gets her target or whatever. So that's a kind of a cool scene, just setting up character stuff. But, you know, they're all just sort of like, basically there's going to be this, Excursion, yeah. So there's going to gonna be uh, an excursion, Island. yeah. Which Nelson is for some reason the head of because he's he's evil and he <laughs> doesn't he, trust people. It's just he's like, evil and he's from Rolisica. Yes, <laughs> a country with a near ninety percentile white population. <laughs> it's stated that the reason why Infant Island is is. Uh, at least from the outside, it appears to be kind of a barren wasteland is because of multiple nuclear weapon tests from the country of Relisica. Yes. Relisica has, I guess, bought Infant Island and owns the land around it, or the ocean around it, and can has dropped multiple nukes there. Um, so I think basically from, from a plot standpoint, Nelson heading up the expedition, he's trying to like cover Relisica's butt just in case they do find anything. Yeah. You know, it'll... <laughs> they find mushroom people there. Right, yeah. They'll the, be able to say. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's... You know, they, they make this venture to the island. Um, Fukuda sneaks aboard because Nelson has banned any journalists. So Fukuda poses uh, very poorly as a, a sort of a, you know, attendant on the boat or mm-hmm. whatever. And is instantly captured by Nelson and found out by Nelson and nearly killed. Yeah. Uh, if Kyujo hadn't, you know, stumbled in on them, I think Nelson would have just shot Fukuda. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's also revealed that uh, Nelson has to get all of the research or whatever. So immediately yeah. there's just like all these red flags that go up about yeah, Nelson. Like, this guy is bad. He's bad. Yeah. He's bears. <laughs> uh, they kind of know that right away. And now when they get to the island... Uh, and th- this is comparing the two movies. What, uh, the other one being Mothra versus Godzilla. When they get to the island, it's a barren wasteland until they get over a hill, and then they realize, ah, oh, all this lush green, all this beautiful green. You know, it's a paradise right. within a wasteland. In, in this film. In this film. In this film. Now, in Mothra versus Godzilla, they go back to presumably the same island, and there is even less green. Yeah. It's as if they had completely forgotten. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> about the 
<laughs> and just kind of like let the situation get, get worse. Get much worse. So many more people died. I think it's probably because a giant moth was discovered and the Japanese government was distracted by that to the point where they forgot that there was uh, there was an island that they probably should have rescued the villagers from because they were slowly dying of radiation poisoning. <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, you're exactly correct. Uh, Infant Island looks a thousand times worse in Mothra versus Godzilla. Um, it, you know, relatively speaking, it looks pretty lush here. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's a tropical island, you know, the outside of it is, is, looks pretty rough, but, uh, once you get on the inside, there's about 15 square miles of jungle. Filled you know. with, uh, plants that almost killed Chujo. Yeah. Uh, vampire plants, uh, as they, as the expedition goes further, further in, and Nelson becomes even more and more, you know, ugh, ah, ugh. <laughs> uh, Chujo is, uh, kind of wanders away from the group briefly and ends up being attacked by vampire plants. And while he's being, like, strangled by these vines, uh, he, he thinks he sees... Two six-inch girls. So dick height. Uh, and, uh, you know, and then he they he gets rescued or, like, I, I forget. Does he pass out? Well, he, he, he hits his um, emergency distress right, button. Right, All the people on the expedition, we should uh, mention, are dressed like Ghostbusters. Yes. They all have these, like, super elaborate suits, because I guess they're expecting it just to be a radiation wasteland. Mm-hmm. Um, but included in the suits are these sort of red buttons uh, next to their shoulder um, uh, fixed to a little strap that they can hit, and it sends off this little, I don't know, it sounds like a new, like the most gentle news bulletin you've ever heard, you know? Like a very soothing alarm clock, I guess, is how I would describe it, you know? An alarm clock meant to put you to sleep. Yeah, yeah. It's just sort of like, oh, that's beautiful, or whatever, but that... It was probably a placebo. It's just like, no one actually will... Someone might not come, so this is the best way to die. Kujo, while he's getting attacked by the plants, he hits the distress call, and that brings everyone, but I think... He, he later on reasons that that is what summoned uh, these these uh, twin fairies. Right. They heard the alarm as well, mm. and they are very sensitive to sound. And so it draws them in. Yes. And while the rest of the people from the expedition kind of come in and help out Kujo, they, they see um, the two fairies. And Nelson immediately grabs them and is like, ha-ha! Yeah. Uh, I'm going to sell them and turn them into my own Barnum and Bailey circus. Yeah. yeah, classic Toho logic of just like, oh, this incredible miracle of of science and nature. You know, these two twin six inch girls. You know, how could this have possibly happened? Is this some sort of schism in reality, or some sort of you know freak new species that we have to research? Uh, we we have to get all the top minds in the world. You know, we need all this funding. This is a ama- this is incredible. This is a new age of science. No, 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 no. Nelson grabs them and immediately his first thought is a cheap flea circus type operation <laughs> where he can have them wearing matching outfits and sing little songs with coordinated dancers and it's all very you know it's just like come, come on Nelson like, yeah. like only in this universe could he possibly get away with that like even thinking that you know let alone doing it yeah um and so like if it's if you were in 
like on the fence as to whether or not Elson, Nelson was was pure evil. You get your answer in the next few scenes because uh, the, Nelson's, I guess, uh, white com, white or companion, you know, insists that he puts the girls down, and so right. Nelson, you know, well, they get they get the the the, uh, the natives surround them, and yeah, hitting and they, rocks yeah. together that sound like giant snare drums. Yeah, <laughs> so so that that convinces the party that they probably should not take right. the girls. Uh, so they. They leave that alone. Uh, Nelson decides that no means yes, so he decides to come back with his own uh, after the expedition has gone back to Japan. And uh, after killing many, many natives. Well, yeah, you know, he basically is the same scene, except he, instead of scientists, he's brought with him henchmen who are all toting machine guns. And he does the same trick. He presses the red distress button and it sends out the alarm, which also, once again, brings back the peanuts. Mm-hmm. He snatches them up and the are, you know, they are surrounded by the, uh, the natives and they kill all of them. Yeah. You know, they, they, uh, they mercilessly gun them down, they, you know, and it's, uh, you know, pretty shocking and, mm-hmm. and very hardcore. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, uh, and Nelson, it's pretty like, metal for 1961. Very metal, heavy metal. Uh, but Nelson does not give a fuck. You know, he steals them, and uh, he doesn't care who he has to kill. I'm sure there was a cut scene of him just laughing. Yeah, you know, they just like all, all over the body. It's just like ah ha 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 ha. Yeah, that's just how depraved this man is, and beautifully so. Uh, Nelson steals the fairies. And he, he, he forces them to perform, and um, the way in which he forces them to f- perform is very strange. It's this theater, and, and the, the peanuts come out in this carriage, this like, it looks like something from a fairy tale, like mm-hmm. Cinderella or something, and it comes out from a curtain that's up at like the top back corner of the theater, and it sort of magically comes out mm. through this hole and kind of comes down and floats down to the stage, and... Nelson opens the door, and the two girls sort of come out and stand there and, and sing. And um, it's all very, very weird. The music is beautiful. Though. Yes. But it, it just... One, one thing that's weird is the fact that they're only six inches tall, which is fine for, I'm sure, the people in the front row. Right. But there's no cameras... You know, that this isn't, you know, like a modern right. concert. You know, so nobody past row four... Could see, no. you know, could possibly see them. Honda didn't give a shit yeah. <laughs> about any of that. You know, he was just like, he didn't care. Yeah, he did not care. He was just like, this is the world I am, I have set up, and take it or leave it. If you don't like it, there's the door. You know, <laughs> um, and you know, the reporters see that Nelson has 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 done this, and they're very upset. Cujo. Uh, sort of comes in and kind of forces his way into a meeting with the Peanuts mm-hmm. because Nelson reasons, well, you've met them before on the island. You know, you have three minutes. Say whatever you need to and yeah. then you can't come oh, back. Oh, and by the way, they don't speak Japanese. They, right. You know, my girls don't speak Japanese. <laughs> no, they they speak in this weird melodic language. It sounds like they're speaking the harpsichord freak-out breakdown from the end of Time of the Season of Loving by the Zombies. Like, that's their language. 
uh, at least for the first half of the movie. Yeah. And then they start speaking Japanese. Yeah. But they're not actually speaking Japanese. They're still speaking their weird music language, but they are using telepathy to make the reporters think they're speaking Japanese. Hashtag Toho Logic. There you go. Uh, airtight. <laughs> uh, so, you know, it's at this point that um, the fairies say, uh, yeah, we should probably go back to Infant Island, though, because yes. there's a giant indestructible moth god <laughs> that has been summoned. <laughs> uh, we forgot to mention that, like, like the one of the survivors... And, like, the, the women and the children and some of the men survived the Infant Island, you know, Holocaust, as it were. But, like, one of the last guys who was in the kind of the fighting party or whatever, he stumbles back into the cave. And basically, he's like, and he hits the, you know, wake up Mothra in case of a machine gunning uh, button. And uh, a wall collapses and the giant egg is behind it. And... um you know, so Mothra, the the egg has been awakened, and now the girls are saying, hey, assholes, we have to, like, you need to return us to Infant <laughs> Island. Mothra doesn't know anything about right or wrong. It operates purely on instinct, and it will wake up, and it will come to Tokyo, and it will come and get us, and take us back to the island, but it will kill everyone in its path, and this is avoidable. Just return us to Infant Island, please. You know, the standard plea from the Peanuts. Yeah. <laughs> and, of course, Nelson's like, get out of here, you know, and, like, throws them out and roughs them up or whatever. And, um, yeah, I, I think, you know, at this point, there's the second song. Or, or, wait. They, after they perform the first time, that's when the egg hatches. Yeah. I think. Some, or I could be wrong. No, and then that, the that, second time it's, it's the formed, second time it, it hatches, and because uh, well, it it cuts between them singing and then the people on the island dancing and singing, you know, praise to the Mothra. Is it the third time they're singing where it's coming through the ocean and destroys that luxury liner? I would say I believe it was the third time. Okay, this part of the movie is sort of repetitive. There's kind of yeah, the, the, it happens like a the, couple of times. The point is, is that. The Peanuts are performing, and they're singing their songs, and it's beautiful and everything, but there's also sort of this kind of sinister element to yeah. it. It's it's the only time Mothra and the Peanuts have ever been shown in anything other than a benign, sort of loving light, yeah. because there's, there's sort of this winking tone to, like... Everything they're doing, like the movements and their faces, and like it's almost as if they're saying, "Y'all gonna die. You guys are all dead. <laughs> like you're all fucked unless you let us go." But they're just singing these beautiful songs, and like you know, it's all choreographed and everything. But it's like, you know, you assholes don't even know what's coming. You know, and and it's you know the scenes are cut back and forth um, with the larval Mothra that has recently hatched coming across the ocean and just fucking taking out a luxury liner with, like, a thousand people on it and just, you know, killing all of them indiscriminately and and then cut back to the Peanuts all singing and be like, Mozana! And it's just like, wait a minute. They're kind of like bad guys. I mean, they're not like, you know... Mothra coming to save the peanuts, that's Mothra's obligation. Yeah. So it doesn't inherently make Mothra evil, but Mothra's 
definitely slaughtering innocent people in this movie, mm. you know? Uh, and, you know, I guess the Peanuts, their one saving grace is they can't really call it off. Yeah. They can't tell it to, to stop. Or at they, least that's what they claim. Kujo uh. <laughs> and, uh, and Fukuda try to have a second meeting with the Peanuts, where Kujo, the, or sorry, where Fukuda in full snapping turtle mode fights off like six guys, mm-hmm. and uh, Kujo kind of gets in and says, you know, just tell Mothra to stop. This is after the liner has been sunk, and uh, at this point the defense forces are starting in with sort of primitive dive bombing attacks. There's mm-hmm. a scene where they try using napalm mm-hmm. on Mothra, um, and it you know it burns on the surface of the water. It's a very cool image. Yeah. Um, but nothing is hurting Mothra. Nothing's even slowing it down. And, and it know, hasn't made landfall it yet. It hasn't made this landfall is... yet. And, you know, you, the, the pace of the script is kind of getting faster. And, like, people keep saying to Nelson, like, well, look at what happened here. And, like, this is, this is exactly what the fairies told us would happen. And Nelson's just like, ah, you know, yeah. you have absolutely no proof. That this is happening. And then Nelson's henchman is like, I really have to agree with Nelson this time for a change of pace. You know, and like, so yeah, it's... Um, so, I mean, they, they do try and devise uh, a box that will cut off the fairies' brainwaves from Mothra. So that way Mothra will, I guess, get confused and go back home and yeah. eat a bunch of chewy chips ahoy and go to bed. <laughs> It does. It works, and it doesn't work. Mothra is, already knows the peanuts are in Japan and in Tokyo. It keeps coming, mm-hmm. but it's sort of it only has information from its last, um, you know, point of, of you know where the peanuts were before they got put in the box. Right. Right. And that happened to be Tokyo. <laughs> yeah, that happened to be Tokyo. So it keeps coming. Um, Nelson sneaks, uh, actually, I'm getting a little ahead of ourselves, uh, myself. Um, so Mothra, you know, eventually makes landfall and, you know, the army... Well, Mothra destroys this dam just yes. as, uh, um, Fukuda and Chujo are, are confronting Nelson for like a fifth time, <laughs> telling, trying to reason with him. And Michi runs up to them and says, you know... Basically, Nelson gets a call from the government saying the show's shut down. Yeah. We can't do this. Like, we're going into a state of emergency. So we're even Rolistica does yeah, not like him. We're going to start evacuating Tokyo. Like, this this giant moth caterpillar thing is coming towards us. We don't know what's going on. We think you may have something to do with it. As Nelson is getting this phone call, uh, Michi comes up and summons Fukuda and... Uh, and Kujo, because the, the dam is being destroyed. <laughs> so Fukuda goes down. They all go down there. Yeah. And there's an awesome sequence where, you know, all the villagers are evacuating. And this woman has her cart with, I, I guess, the contents of her entire house in it, including, yeah. like, her baby. And This uh, is, this is like, reminiscent of uh, Eisenstein's battleship Potemkin. Yeah. <laughs> uh, basically, the baby falls off the back of the cart, yeah. and Fukuda... You know, does his Superman thing where he runs and um, does what Superman's supposed to do, which is save innocent <laughs> lives, and grabs the baby <laughs> and uh, and runs out of there just before the uh, you know this 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 tidal wave of water come kind of comes in and smacks out and knocks down the the bridge. It's a really cool shot, 
and it's uh you know it's the type of sequence that could really only happen in the classic age of Toho back when they still had money. Yeah. And uh <laughs> you're not going to see anything like this in uh you know uh Gigan or anything. No. Like it's uh it's a really cool shot. It involves a lot of precision kind of green screen or blue screen yeah. stuff and um just in general I sort of noticed during this part of the movie where Mothra is coming to Tokyo, there was a lot of very innovative, creative use of the blue screen. Yes. Um, and what I mean by that is, like, normally the blue screen, in these films especially, is going to be uh, your cityscape in the background, which, of course, has been manufactured with your sort of model tanks and stuff mm-hmm. uh, kind of going by, and you know, in very horizontal lines, and it's all very static. And then in the foreground of the shot you'll have some troops kind of waving people around and they'll yeah. kind of come in. Um, and that's repeated so many times in these movies. But in Mothra, they're trying different like angles of that, basically that same shot. I think what they did is, in the Mysterians, they were able to, while the story wasn't as good, they were able to play around with the special effects, see how far they could take this type of effect. So uh, with this, they imply it, but with a better story. Right. So and they even and they take it even further than the Mysterians did, you know. And like you said, they have the money to do so. They right. can do this, and it plays well. Yeah, there's very a, well. There's a few shots where they fooled me, and yeah. and I had to go back and be like, oh wait a minute, yeah, you know? which is crazy for a movie from 1961 that could actually, you know, they could do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, anyways, um, <clears throat> Mothra makes it to Tokyo. Mm-hmm. And destroys many, many buildings. Nelson sneaks out of uh, the country. He m- makes a beeline to Rolisica. And his and spe- specifically his bungalow. It is he, Yes, he makes a beeline to his bungalow in Rolisica. And uh, he takes the girls with him and his two henchmen. And then, meanwhile, Mothra makes this big cocoon. Uh, wait, it, was it Tokyo Tower? Yes. Yes. In Tokyo Tower. Goes to downtown Tokyo and, 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 and destroys Tokyo Tower. Big ass cocoon. And this is, you know, as you, you know, after he has destroyed just about half of the city, one of the Relisican diplomats says, you know, oh, this is horrible, so we're going to send you our newest weapons. Before we get into the atomic heat race, and this is just a little thing I noticed this last time watching it, mm-hmm. and I thought it was really cool. Uh,. When Mothra is building its cocoon, mm-hmm. and it's sort of like dusk, early evening in Tokyo, yeah. you can hear dogs barking. Really? Yeah, you can just hear dogs barking like in the background. Like Every dog in the city is like fucking freaked out that this giant monster is there, which uh, is never in any other Toho science fiction movie. Um, yeah. That, that element is never present. Like Until that point, I didn't even realize that people had pets in... Tokyo or Japan because they're just never in any other Godzilla movie but like that tiny element of just having like the sounds of a city yeah you know and certainly that is a sound of a city is is having you know pets barking yeah it's beyond just the fire engines and everything else it just adds this 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 little teeny sliver of realism to this completely ludicrous you know event that's yeah. happening you know it's a thing building a giant you know cocoon or whatever and it's just they had time they had enough time to think about and, and add in these little touches with these with these earlier ones mm. and it was really cool uh 
but that's that's all I wanted to say. Huh? Well, um, <laughs> oh yeah, d- d- and the, the atomic heat. Yeah, so they uh, bring in these atomic heat rays, which are kind of the granddaddy, you could say, of the masers. Not quite, but the, what the, it is was first we had the marker light farps. Yes, from uh, from the Mysterians, and as as we all know, the marker light farps were uh, sort of tripod based. Yeah, and they they weren't they had tank treads, but they weren't particularly mobile. No. But these things are sort of the half-step between the Markalite Farp and then later on in uh, War of the Gargantuas, you get the Mazer Cannon, the yes. full-blown Mazer Cannon. This is the half-step. Yes. And they just call it the Atomic Heat Ray yes. in both versions. Well, I mean, I think they were going to call it a wet Markalite Farp, <laughs> but uh, I, don't, I don't think anyone wanted to uh, yes. hear or smell that. Yes. So uh, they uh, do a countdown. Like Apparently, like it's supposed to be like so bright, like everyone has to wear like Atomic... Uh, visors so that way their you know uh, eyes aren't like blown out right. by the brightness. So uh, they do. They attack Mothra with these heat rays, and it you know burns the cocoon burns, and like it, it just seems like ah, it's unnerving because it's just like oh, the military is actually causing damage. Right, we think to this monster, and you know Nelson's. In, we cut to Nelson in his bungalow. They hear over the radio. You know, it's just like, ah, yes, and Mothra has been defeated. And Mothra is dead. And I I love this scene. I, I still think this is, like, one of the most beautiful mo- moments in just any movie, you know, because of how it's played out. Because Nelson and his henchmen are hovering over the girls who are singing and like they're just like yes keep singing but mothra is dead <laughs> and yeah. then just the beautiful moment when they cut back to mothra who busts out of the fucking cocoon in full moth form and just and, and, and when you say that it's the next cut yes it's like it cuts from them singing and nelson just being like yeah sing all you yes. want you know mothra is dead and it, you know, it, it pushes in on the peanuts, and then immediately, like hard cut to the to the cocoon busting open, and it's oh shit! Yeah. <laughs> you know, we we didn't kill Mothra at all. We may have actually helped it and sped up the cocooning process because yes. it's alive and it's in full moth form. Um, and the resulting scene is is so awesome. Yes. Um, Mothra proceeds to lay waste. It, lo- it looks like it doesn't do that much damage, but again, as we know, as we found out in Tokyo SOS, apparently the damage was very substantial. Yeah. You know, uh, multiple billions of dollars. You know, Tokyo was completely leveled yet again. Hundreds of thousands of people killed. And Tokyo gets off easy compared to what happens to Relisica. Yeah. So in the film's most absurd moment... Uh, Mothra is flying around in, in Tokyo, and it kind of flies off into the sky. Yeah. You know, it's just the sky, all right? Uh, Fukuda's like, oh, it must be flying to Relisica to get Nelson. <laughs> uh, you know, Fukuda doesn't know that yeah. Nelson is in Relisica, and he I also doesn't know what direction Mothra is flying in. I mean, even if, you know... That is, like, the biggest leap ever. <laughs> like, it's just like, oh, Mothra is flying to Reliska. That must be where Nelson is, you know. Now, I, I agree. They're, they're in Tokyo, and there's really not that many place, places to fly to if you're flying east, okay? Mm. And so it's probably going to be Reliska because the rough geography is that Reliska is someplace east of Japan. Yeah. 
Um, Somewhere, you know, and, and Mothra couldn't at all be heading towards the United States. Oh, of no, course not. No. Of course not. <laughs> Perish the thought. So, uh, Mothra arrives in Newkirk City. I mean, oh, sorry. So Mothra arrives in San Francisco. I mean, Newkirk City. And um, it, you know, just levels the whole city. And, and you know, Newkirk City, again, is sort of this weird amalgamation of New York City and, and San Francisco. It has ak-ak guns from World War Two, And apparently they're armed and manned at all times. Because yeah. <laughs> um, Cause apparently this happens all the time. Yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> they are very well prepared for giant flying monster attacks. Um, but, you know, the, the bullets do nothing yeah. to stop Mothra's rampage. Mothra kind of does these cool things that it doesn't, you know, does not do in any other film that I've seen Mothra in. Where it, like, changes course and you can actually see it pitching its wings and sort of, like directing the wind into buildings and then mm-hmm. the buildings just explode. Uh, that doesn't happen in any other film with Mothra. Mothra, I mean, really, this is the only time Mothra is, like, attacking a city. Like, yeah. to kill. It's pissed. It's pissed. Like, this is, <laughs> you know, again, this is, like, the most Mothra's ever going to be the villain, yeah. you know? And I think it's, it definitely could be argued that Mothra very much is... Acting like a villain here. I mean, obviously Nelson is the villain of yeah. the film, but Mothra is definitely killing thousands of people, Henry Cavill style, <laughs> in this giant city. You know, uh, so like, yeah, it's uh, and it's great. It's amazing, and like so much collateral damage. Cut to uh, well, I mean, first our heroes take Pan Am <laughs> to Ralistica. which really I- it should be. Panrolistica. Uh, it should be Panro, <laughs> right? Panro. So they take Panro to Ralistica because apparently flight travel has not been canceled at all right. during a monster attack. It happens all the time here. Uh, so uh, Nelson finds out via radio that uh, he's now a wanted man. Right. Uh, the entire planet is looking for him. <laughs> so he leaves his precious bungalow. Uh, Where he would have been safe. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and stumbles upon, you know, uh, a bunch of white people who are evacuating, you know, to, I guess, the Rocky Mountains. I mean, the Rocky Relisican Mountains. Right. Uh, uh, so, uh, and then they... No, hey, that's Nelson! Yeah, Nelson... He basically commits suicide because he drives right in, like, his bungalow is in the mountains. He drives yeah. back into the city where everyone is, like, looking for him. And, and he's, like, like honking drives, his yeah, horn. drives into, a, like, uh, this crowd of, like, 200 people and is honking his horn. like, get out of the way! You know, it's like, it's dude, awesome. <laughs> you, you know, you've, you've brought this on yourself, man. Like... Jesus Christ. Yeah. Um, so he gets out, and then, like, as the people are pounding angrily on his window, it, you know, cuts to, like, the natives he killed. Right, like, he's right. finally having a realization, oh, I might not be such a wonderful person. Yeah, well, he's seeing the eyes of the Relisicans who, you know, want blood, and he also, in in their faces, we f- flash to the, the natives from Infant Island that he slaughtered. Um, and he gets sort of a... Uh, he lo- he's lost his mind. I yeah. mean, he goes mad. He, he basically he gets out of the car, shoots a cop, and, and just like shoots a cop for no reason <laughs> at all. 
and uh, is just like, get back! And then he, like, goes up to this old couple, and he steals the old dude's cane and just pushes the old guy over <laughs> for, for no reason at all. It's like, leave this old guy alone. You should be running away. Why are you being mean to this random couple? I'm evil! Yeah, it's just like his last act of, you know, pure evil or whatever. And uh, then he gets... Surprise! Sh- if only he had actually... If only there was, like, a baby with candy, and he right, just right, snatched yeah, yeah. it out. Yoink! Uh, and then he gets shot like 10 times it's yeah. pretty awesome yeah. it's a fitting end to his kind you know uh as, as batman from 1939 would say when he used to shoot yeah. uh criminals <laughs> i don't know if they'll gloss over this in the Affleck version of uh of batman, he'll, he'll probably shoot superman like in the head yeah with well, a kryptonite bullet <laughs> batman when he first got on the scene used to shoot people yeah. <laughs> and he would say things like a fitting end to your kind yeah. you know so that's this because he was a private eye he just yeah. happened to wear a costume yeah he wore a bat costume with but... all this you know i'm here to save people fuck that shit <laughs> um so yeah anyways nelson gets shot so many times and um it's great very cathartic but um, unfortunately mothra doesn't know that nelson is dead mothra doesn't know nelson's dead and continues the slaughter uh knocking down the golden gate bridge uh knocking down these ships that are like knocking ships into buildings you know like thrusting them out of the harbor with these supersonic winds into buildings and like you know cars are just being strewn about like leaves you know like it's just it's so great um right around this time uh fukuda uh, Michi and um, Kujo arrive at this church where Nelson was was shot to death in front of. Mm. I guess their pan row flight, you know, it makes no sense yeah. that they arrived. There. They have <laughs> they, they, there would be no way they would know to go there at all. You know, just like oh, what a coincidence! We uh, happen to be vacationing here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or, anyways, they they're there, and uh, Fukuda looks up at this, um, you know, this cross as the sun sort of comes down right within the uh you know the parameters of of the cross so mm-hmm. basically it's a circle with a cross in it and the way that the sunbeams are coming out it reminds him of this mothra symbol that he found uh when they were on the island mm-hmm. so he gets the bright idea to uh maybe recreate this symbol and uh use the the fairies to sing and also use uh bells from the church to maybe summon Mothra and stop the violence, yeah. as it were. So they have the uh, town militia. The town uh, militia. Uh, that's what Rolisica has, uh, apparently. An- Antonio, the leader of the Cetopians from Godzilla vs. Megalon, who in this film wears gloves for some reasons, probably to cover up his uh, sailing tattoos. Uh, <laughs> you could kind of hear him walking away. It's a throwaway line where it's like, all the members of the town militia within the distance of me, you know, who can hear me go out to the airport and let's paint this giant cross thing on the ground or whatever. Should have just had Megalon do it. Yeah. He would have done it quicker. Yeah. Um, Give him some paint brushes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that's what they do. They have these, these giant painting machines that are just loaded up and ready to go. And they paint the symbol on what's left of the airport from this destroyed city that's now a wasteland. And Mothra kind of comes down and lands, and uh, they they you know release the peanuts, and they and the girls turn around and say, "Okay, bye," and they fly yeah, off. <laughs> it's been fun. We'll see you in two years when you need us uh, to stop Godzilla. Oh, and uh, don't 
fuck with us ever again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and everyone's like, oh, goodbye! Yeah. You know, they're all waving goodbye, classic Toho, you know, it's just like, you've just murdered 400,000 people, and now we're all, like, your best friend. The economy has collapsed, the Soviets are soon to take over. <laughs> That's why we never see Roklisica ever again. It's because the economy don't... tanked. That yeah. was all they had. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's a dead country at that point. Um, sinks into the ocean and becomes Moo from <laughs> Atragon. Um, so anyways, yeah, that's, uh, that's Mothra. And Mothra flies him back to Infant Island and there's like a little kind of coda where they say there's, it's a prayer for peace for the whole world, you know. And, um, and then you've got the, the end title and, and that's it. So yeah. So, yeah, definitely, you know, despite the flaws we mentioned, like, one of the best in the Toho Kaiju universe. Um, yeah. Just Be- it's, it's Beautifully fun. photographed. Film. Yeah. Um, the colors are really striking, too. Um, great, great palette and, and uh, a lot of fun to watch. Very engaging film. Yeah. Um, I watched this not too long ago, and I wasn't really going to watch... The whole thing, I was just going to sort of brush up on it and, and hit up a couple of key scenes, but I started watching it this afternoon, and I just found myself sucked back in, and I would just watched the whole thing and, and really enjoying myself. Yeah. Um, it's, just I, a, it's a good movie. Yeah, it, it works. And it works outside of the criteria for, like, a, quote, good kaiju movie, unquote. It's just, mm-hmm. it's one of those things where it's actually a good movie. Yeah. Um, and definitely, as far as, you know, if you're going to compare it to other movies, like other giant monster movies in general, it stands up uh, with the best of those as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, you know, still after, I guess it's been, what, 50 years? Yeah. Um, you know, still a, a very fun movie to watch. Very cool. Definitely highly recommended. I, I got it. Um, there's a DVD triple pack uh, that has... Battle in Outer Space, the H-Man, and then this. Hmm. If you can still find that any place, you know, get it, or I'm sure you can get it on Amazon. Um, and it may still be on Netflix as well. Although, maybe not. <laughs> Double check. Um, but yeah, definitely uh, check it out. Um, so yeah, so uh, once again, uh, we're on Facebook at the Godzilla Pod War Hour. Give us a like. Improve our self-esteem. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, we're also on the Tumblr, where you can listen to all our episodes. Uh, we're also on iTunes uh, and Podbean. And you know what? And for Twitter. Free. Right? And Twitter. Yes. Twitter. Yeah. And these are all free. These are all free things. Mm-hmm. You know, they say the best things in life aren't free. Well, we are free. And we are good. Yes. Um, so, yeah. I guess... Keep it tuned right here for uh, your all your kaiju news or reviews, as it were. I don't know what's happening. Reviews without booze. Yes, this movie's so good it's suspiciously evil, much like Nelson.